Join me tonight as I talk with Carrie Lynn Cassidy about top secret space programs and Project Camelot. Grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Welcome to the show tonight. We've got a really great show. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, based out of Sacramento, California. Uh, we're 45 strong up and down the state of California, which means if you have a ghostly, a ghostly need, we can help you out with it. Uh, you know that puts us in almost every county in in the state. So if so, if you need something, uh, you know, we, we we can get to you. Anyway, I want to welcome you. And uh, wow, tonight's show! I don't know what else I could say about it. Uh, Carrie Cassidy is our guest. And we're going to be talking about a couple of topics that really interest me. And one is the secret space program. And uh, I've been interested in this for a long time, along with time travel. So I can't wait to talk with Carrie about this. And, and feel free, uh, in the chat room, if you have any questions or comments, go ahead and uh, do that in the chat room. All right. And uh, tonight we're broadcasting via, thank you, tonight we're broadcasting via Facebook. We're also broadcasting on Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. So if you're sitting there on Facebook and Twitter, Twitch, oh yes, yeah, in those places, please hit that follow button if you like what you see. If uh, if, if you like what you see over on YouTube and you're watching from YouTube, please uh, hit that s- subscription button. And it's the little ghost down in the run right-hand corner with the magnifying glass and the uh, Sherlock Holmes hat on. Because we're looking for subscribers. YouTube shows us no love. So the more subscribers we get, the merrier. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. And I want to thank you all for coming. And I know it's late on the, uh, you know, it's, it's what, after 9, it's 9.30 on the East Coast. And uh, California time, there's all kinds of time zones here. People, you know, some people are going to be listening from Europe and everything else. Especially when I submit this into the RSS version, which goes through Apple and uh, all the, and Google and, and all the different podcast systems. 8.30 p.m.? Okay, gotcha. You guys are telling me the times. Thank you. See, it's like, it's 6.30 p.m. here in California. It's coming up on 6.30 p.m. And that's the joy of California, right? Because you guys are rolling, roll on different time zones here. Carrie, welcome back. It's good to see you. And um, I've been excited to talk to you about things. Really excited. So for the people, oh. that, for the, for the people that haven't heard you before on the show, tell, tell us about you. Well, I'm an investigative journalist, documentary filmmaker, and I've been doing this now, uh, and I'm broadcaster, and I've been doing this now for uh, 17 years, and really going down the rabbit hole. Um, actually, we're, Project Camelot is known as the sort of breaking the ground for a lot of other broadcasters that now do what we do or did. And um, 
So it, it's all about finding the truth and, and bringing it to the surface and, uh, and telling the people. And we initially picked up a consumer grade camcorder and, and toured uh, the world on a very low budget, uh, investigating and talking to whistleblowers from above top secret. So we were very unique back in the day. Now everyone is trying to do that and uh, in ver with various degrees of success, I think you might say. But we were really uh, unique back in the day. And so that's who I am. Fantastic. Now I have some questions now. When we talk about Project Camelot, what is that exactly? What, you know, what, what, what do you define it as? Well, we named our project Project Camelot, uh, which it was initially myself and a partner. Mm -hmm. He was English. His name is Bill Ryan. He was my partner for the first three years, and then we we split. And so I've continued, as I say, uh, for the last. And so it's in seventeen years. So I guess uh, that means I've done fourteen or fifteen on my own. And uh, Project Camelot was again just created by both of us. Uh, we connected at, because I interviewed him. I, in a sense, I had already started Camelot. We just, I just didn't call it that. And I had picked up a consumer grade camcorder and started mm -hmm. interviewing um, UFO people that had were on the UFO circuit, the speakers, uh, and specifically was trying to make a documentary back at that time. Bill Ryan was one of my uh, guests on my show back in that those days. And, uh, and we hit it off. Uh, we connected in Tintagel in England, which is the former home of King Arthur, where I had past life recall um, of the time of Arthur. And uh, that kind of tied into why we named ourselves Project Camelot. And we wanted to call ourselves Camelot, but of course there were zillions of websites with the name Camelot. So mm -hmm. we had to have a unique beginning or ending to that. And so uh, I had been working for Jet Propulsion Lab, JPL, and I was writing screenplays, sci-fi screenplays on my lunch hour. And so I knew about, um, you know, black projects and all of that and how they often started with the name project, this project, that project, Bluebeam project, you name it. And so um, I'd written a screenplay called Project Moondust written, you know, but it was fictional, you know, that I, that I shopped around Hollywood for a while. And basically, so we took the name project and we were going to call it Camelot project or project Camelot, but decided project Camelot sounded better. So then we named ourselves that started a website, started touring the world, started interviewing whistleblowers and the rest is history, as they say. Um, so what happened, let me say this, that we didn't know about it at the time we started all of this was back in 2005 i think it was yeah 2005 i started uh on my own and basically there is a social um i don't know some kind of program mm -hmm. that the uh cia i think had put together with the name strangely project camelot but it's not so unusual to think that they would name something back in those days. This was before, I mean, before we were even old enough to, you know, to walk. Um, mm -hmm. It was back in the 60s and they were doing some kind of thing program and, uh, you know, like a sort of Tavistock 
program or something. And they called it, and Camelot, of course, in England is an extremely famous name and used all the time in various places and castles and so on and so forth. So calling it, you know, when you work in black projects, Project Camelot is not unusual, but we didn't know about that. So some people, after we got formed and created uh, by ourselves, uh, thought we were some government thing that started in the 60s. But of course, we weren't. We didn't know about that at the time. But that might be of interest to people. If you do a search on the web, you might come across that old project. Um, no relation again. And we, you know, we started on a shoestring budget, literally, uh, just the two of us and a little tiny camcorder. I didn't have lights. I didn't have anything professional. And uh, but I was uh, trained as a filmmaker. I went to um, film school, UCLA. And I was in what's called the short fiction film program, which is a very, uh, at the time, was it a groundbreaking program that uh, I was actually what you call a hyphenate, mm -hmm. an act, which is a, a director, producer, um, I forgot the other one, <laughs> a director, producer, writer. Okay. So you could come in as a hyphenate, which I did, and, um, and, and worked on a film that I, I tried to shoot at the time. I ended up shooting it after the program was over because of logistics and money, but nonetheless uh, went through that program and, and all that. So I was trained and I also taught myself film editing and that's how I ended up doing all of this with Camelot. I was the editor to start out with and I taught Bill how to use the camera <laughs> when he joined me. So, you know, because I ended up being the interviewer, at least in the early days. And so that's why um, I couldn't, it was much more difficult for me to shoot the camera and, and be on camera at the same time. So eventually I gave that task to him. Uh, although there, you'll see in the old Camelot videos, you'll see me behind the camera. So a lot of times we got we ended up with two cameras and I would st still stand behind the camera and ask questions in the early days because I was uh, really um, sort of gung ho as a what you call I call a guerrilla filmmaker, which mm -hmm. it's an old term coming from the early MTV days mm -hmm. and, and, and film back in those days. And that meant that you were you know, you you filmed on the run that you didn't have you know a huge crew and you didn't have a lot of money behind you you just shot anything you could find right so that's project awesome. camelot awesome. and now we have i mean i have done over a thousand interviews uh, maybe closer at this point getting to 2000 i used to have also a radio show for about i don't know four four or five years on revolution radio uh before video because because we basically started when this whole sector was growing up and YouTube, I was an original YouTube director back in the day when YouTube and Google started the video sections of their, their stuff. Uh, you could only do 10 minute videos. It, you might remember those days. And right. I, as a YouTube director, because of my director training and work in Hollywood, which I'd worked, um, ended up working in Hollywood for 20 years before I got into this field. So um, I, I got on board as a, a, a YouTube director back in those days, and they let me film two-hour videos. 
So we didn't do sound bites. We did intensive two hour interviews. And like I said, now I have like over, well over a thousand videos and they're all on my website and they're on odyssey.com. They used to be on YouTube. In fact, I had a huge YouTube channel that they deleted over the last two years. And everyone I've tried to start since then, they end up banning me from YouTube over and over again. So it's insane. Uh, so I don't even try to go on YouTube now. They wouldn't even let me on, I don't think. But um, so that's where all a lot of my new videos there are all on Rumble and on Odyssey and then on my website. All the old videos are on Odyssey because when we were deleted off YouTube just by some kind of incredible gift <laughs> from the mm -hmm. universe, Odyssey had soaked up uh, 900, almost 900 of our videos right out of YouTube, just grab the whole thing. So, so thank God we didn't disappear off the web. And so we're still alive and kicking and that's the story. When you talk about black programs, what does that mean exactly? Uh, that means above top secret, highly secret. And, and that means if you go top secret, you go above it. So from there on and everything is, is what we call black. And, um, it's just a, a term, you know, you could say going dark is, is a similar term, but it, it ha relates to, again, black projects. And these things have to do with the secret background behind them and that their agency, they're secret on the agency level, but they're also secret in terms of what's called the secret space program. And they, they require, you know, um, basically credentials that involve above top secret. For example, the Q clearance is an above top secret clearance. Okay. And that okay. gets into the white hats and why I know so much about them, whereas other people don't seem to. Interesting. And what types of, like you're saying, the secret space program, what types of things have they been doing that we don't know about? Well, you know, there is a whole long list that I actually, I did a project uh, with the White Hats back in the days, uh, way before Q came to the to the forefront, the last, which was about the last three years ago, you know. But prior to that, like six years, seven years, I was working, you know, both behind the scenes and also doing interviews with a few White Hats like Paladin. And the White Hats at the time, they what they they specialized back the, in those days in documentation. And so that was they had in uh, Paladin was an investigative forensic uh, account, financial accountant who basically was part of investigating the financial fraud going on in our government mm -hmm. and exposing it through documentation. So they sort of teamed up up with me uh, on one thing that was to describe what you just asked, black projects. Mm -hmm. And so I've written and I have a, a whole presentation that I've done called Black Projects Follow the Money. So if you want to know, you know, it, like I said, it's a long list and I can give you samples of that. So mm -hmm. one of the first and foremost things that they're interested in is actually the transhuman. So in creating, back in those days, I called, I actually named the, that uh, effort, which is 
uh, you know, an effort to create a Superman. So it was like a, um, you know, basically a, a, a Superman versus angelic human. And so they chose to go the, the augmentation route, which involves what we call super soldiers. And this whole idea of, uh, if you've seen ever seen the movies Universal Soldier, mm -hmm. you understand that it, it started in Nazi Germany with enhancing the human to not only have more enhancements, you know, run faster, you know, by it even started even before, you know, on regular television, like bionic woman, mm -hmm. bionic man, that was telling this, the public in this, I think the sixties, seventies, what they were working on, which is like, you know, they like to do that. That's part of their, their sort of modus operandi. So in, in essence, one of the black projects for sure is the super soldier project and, mm -hmm. you know, involving transhumanism. Now, this is very important to understand because it also involves not your normal um, human enhancement that you might think of. So it can be psychic enhancement. It can mm -hmm. be enhancement in terms of sort of intellect but also psychic abilities that you wouldn't think of. So it's not all brain, you know, brawn and, and, right. and being like a Schwarzenegger or whatever. Uh, so, you know, important to say that um, the sun is coming through the clouds over here, making the video a bit, whatever. But um, so <laughs> this is, uh, you know, what one of the projects and a black projects can be, I mean, I have a whole list on, on my presentation, as I say, and, and if you go to my website and you want to read that or watch, and I, you know, I, if I was going to share my screen, I could share it, but you basically just put in uh, black projects, those first two, two words in the search and you'll, it'll probably come up pretty quickly. Uh, so um, other, other projects have to do with, um, have you ever seen the, the movie Hannah? Yes. Okay, now there's a new version of Hannah, but there was an action that's a TV show. But there's actually, and it's made by the same people. In fact, I know the producer who made Hannah, and um, he's an old colleague, friend of mine back from back in the day. Uh, I always wondered whether he got his idea for writing this, for getting this project off the ground from me, from Project Camelot, but he's never acknowledged that, so I don't know. Uh, but I will say that it was all about taking young people and enhancing them. And of course they do go across the gamut. They even, you know, they'll enhance like a grandmother kind of person, an old person to, to have so, so certain abilities. And the CIA of course finds this very useful as well with their agents. Um, so those are, but black projects can be anything from, you know, going off planet and planning a, uh, colonizing other planets to um, to creating different technologies. It, DARPA is heavily involved. You know, anything DARPA isn't doing, anything secretive that DARPA, most, <laughs> most of what DARPA does is secretive, um, can would be part of what we call the secret space program. It just branches across like MIT, all of these organizations that are feeding um, scientific knowledge and expertise into the secret space program to to basically create a, a global and uh, 
a, a spacefaring uh, organization uh, of, of colonizers. And the premise behind the whole secret space program, as it has been, has been, you know, to to basically be that the one on top, to be the colonizer, to go out into space and take over and rule over whatever alien civilizations they encounter. But there is a cog in that machine, you know, in that plan, because uh, what had happened was we were already invaded multiple times throughout the centuries. And, and whether you know it or not, our genome is a hybrid genome. And we have the DNA already of many alien species blended into our DNA. And this has happened over, over the time, ever since we came to the planet. We were not created, you know, the Adam and Eve story is actually, it's a nice story, but it's not real, it's not true. Um, we came from Lyra. Most a human humans come from Lyra originally. Eventually, some of us came from the Pleiades and, and other planets. And it continues to be like that. Some of us are, um, you know, more hybrids than others. And mm -hmm. some of us are um, mixtures of like, there's the gray human hybrid program. So whether you like it or not, and I don't particularly like it, the grays, which are a form of reptilian, came here, uh, abducted humans on a regular basis, focusing, I think, from what I understand, on the U.S. to begin with. Eventually, we're persuaded by our secret space program to go down to South Central and South America and focus on those cultures instead of the, the United States. They still continue in the United States, I can say, and they're still operational even today. Um, you know, a lot of people don't realize that um, mm -hmm. the Greys didn't, they didn't disappear. And they're very instrumental, by the way, in the rollout of the COVID, uh, which is a, a, an invasionary uh, bioweapon that was, that's, uh, that was created to basically convert humans into transhumans to connect us what's with what's called, which is an AI that the Greys report to as well. It's a, a, an AI that is probably in charge of the, of the Draco reptilians. The Greys are a sub race, you know, even all the different types of Greys mm -hmm. and they report to the higher levels, but the, um, this, COVID bioweapon is created by the artificial intelligence that is said to even run the Draco reptilians. And it's something that happens. It's an invasionary um, group of, of AI mm -hmm. that, uh, that, that go along with the Draco reptilians who are a marauding species and they are colonizers. They are colonizers the way we supposedly want to be but they are very much a, a militaristic top-down kind of organization and, and culture. Uh, and so when they go out around the planets, they look for humanoid planet planets to invade, in fact. And then they take over and invade the genome. And this is how the Anunnaki were created. A lot of people don't know that the Anunnaki were taken over by the reptilians 
many eons ago. Mm-hmm. And they are hybrids. Therefore, they are, you know, reptilian human hybrids, humanoid hybrids, not human. Um, so they, uh, the Anunnaki, are also are a breakoff uh, organization or race, uh, a species. I was told recently by a scientist, you shouldn't use the word race. You should use the word species. So I should be saying species. But so so they are the Anunnaki are were from the Pleiades, but they were a rogue group. They split off from the Pleiades. The Pleiadians have been fighting the invasionary AI slash, you know, Draco reptilians forever. And part of the reason that the Pleiadians came to Earth to help us, and I've witnessed testimony that supports everything I'm saying pretty much here, some of which I do now, I have been getting downloads over the last few years. So some of which does come also in connecting the dots, you might say, is more my download information. But um, so so what happens is the Pleiadians came here uh, and this is a, a lot of the testimony of William Tompkins, who was a Navy whistleblower, you know, who was about to die. Really, he was in his 90s when I interviewed him. And eventually, I believe they killed him either either that or they gave him, you know, um, access it, a get out of jail free card, which means they took him off planet. Uh, and, and that's possible, but at any rate, he, he was killed. The story goes. So I never got a second interview with him and uh, he revealed a tremendous amount. We did a three hour interview that went way into depth and he talks about how our secret space program, you know, with NASA and the whole thing back in those days was helped by two groups. One was the Pleiadians on the one hand, and the other was the reptilians that are actually um, from Aldebaran. And they are the ones who worked with the Nazis to get the Nazis the higher tech. And then it came over during paperclip to the US. So we had these two branches and a lot of sabotage of our secret space program took place uh, by the reptilians and probably continues to do so today. Like when you hear, okay, they're sending a, a spaceship to Mars or Jupiter. Oh, oh my God, something's gone wrong. You know, some part of it, like the camera or the this or the that doesn't work. Uh, you know, isn't that a coincidence? And just when they were going to do, you know, some flyover, right? Mm-hmm. So this is, this is a continual battle that we have to not only of the secret space program to go into space, but to do, to deal with this Draco reptilian overlords, if you will, uh, trying to control and prevent us uh, in cer- certain ways. So sorry for the long winded. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> now my question that this is like, like you mentioned people being abducted and stuff. Did we not have, or, did we not have an agreement with some of the alien races that it was okay for them to take to take humans? To do what? To abduct humans. Well, that's a mixed bag as to just yes, in a certain sense, because like I said, they gave them, or in a certain way, they made a deal with them to go to Central and South America. That was a deal. But First of all, every treaty we ever made with these um, off-worlders it has been broken. 
And secondly, um, yes, it is said that, you know, with beings that go through this process, and by the way, I'm one of them. <laughs> you know, I was abducted when I was a kid. I had a re recurring abduction sort of dream scenario that would terrify me every night uh, when I was around 12 years old. And uh, eventually it, it did stop and, and so on. But I, um, I was born in a military hospital in, um, in uh, Moffett Field in, mm -hmm. in Palo Alto, California. And I was the only, only child in my family of four kids that was born there. And I, I have a strange birthmark on my shoulder and I have an implant and I had all kinds of abductions. So I had, I was definitely messed with uh, by the secret space program in some form or fashion, which could have to do with why I do the job I do, the mission I have. Uh, and I think I was also very much protected by the, whatever alien group is, is protecting me, which mm -hmm. I have been told is definitely the Pleiadians on one's you know, side, because I, I get downloads even now mm -hmm. telling me, uh, you know, of my connection to them and my mission, because my mission is very much involved in what is their objective. So they, and I, I have sort of mixed feelings about it, but their objective is to outfit humans to fight the war with Draco reptilians for them okay. so that we will be the front, you know, the advance group. And that way it'll take some of the heat off the Pleiadians. Um, that's the idea. And even R William Tompkins talked about this, you know, briefly. Mm -hmm. A lot of people want to think that, oh, the Pleiadians are the good guys and they love everybody and all this kind of thing. But see, are no races that are actually like they think they are mm -hmm. every race or species out there has its own operational agenda and we judge them based on whether we see them as friendly towards us as being on our side to um you know work with to our best interest in in the future and the reality is that every single species out there has its own agenda. If we fall into that agenda, then they are on our side. If we don't fall into that agenda, then we appear to, you know, we tend to view them as the enemy. And that goes for AI as well, by the way. And we have uh, evidence of a lot of invasionary AI, as well as the AI that we think we created, but we created with help from uh, various alien species. So it's a real mixed bag going on out there right now. And obviously everything has started to, all of this have, has been revealed on planet earth now in, in spades. Uh, so what I'm saying is not a secret anymore. <laughs> when we started in Camelot, people thought, you know, we were just the most radical <laughs> organization and, you know, having revealed a lot of this stuff. I heard, um, I don't know if it was one of your interviews I saw or something, where one of the alien species need, eats us. Well, let's put it bluntly, where somebody wants to, you know, one of those alien species needs something from, or, you know, there's some kind of nutrient that we have that they want in our bodies. 
Well, I think what you're maybe talking about is, is adrenochrome. And I call it the adrenochrome highway. This is where Draco reptilian species, and that includes the grays, feed off our, it's basically our, the fluids coming from various glands in humans, which they consider an aphrodisiac on the one hand and also um, food. They consider humans food. So they also, um, they consider like the adrenaline rush that when you kill an animal and it's in, in a state of fear, the adrenaline, uh, you know, pumps out. And it's, it basically is, it's orgone, also known as kundalini. And so that is, a, it's a powerful um, plasma-like solution that, that we can exude. Okay. And this gets into Brill and powers that the humans have, et cetera, that have a lot of ha have not been explored properly here on earth. But at any rate, the Draco reptilians and the greys all feed off us. And they are part of, because they, in, they instilled part of their DNA into ours, mm -hmm. we have a component of reptilian in the whole human species now. But the blue, what are called the blue bloods tend to have a greater concentration of the reptilian DNA. And this is what makes them, you know, they tend to be stronger, more aggressive, um, climb to the top at any rate, uh, possibly enhanced intelligence at times and, and various things as a result of their reptilian um, added DNA. Okay. Now that's become a problem within the human species because not only are the reptilian grays and, and, and Draco feeding on us, now other humans are feeding on us, okay? So those that have these lower sort of impulses, if you will, and, and it's really their chakra development having to do with their chakra development. So it's not just a DNA question but definitely the ones that have risen to the top in our society have tended to do so uh, on the, on the heads or on the, you know, with their boots on the necks of the people that have a less reptilian DNA. And so they also feed on them and that includes the children, which is considered the most, the best source of this, uh, it, there's, it's called louche is one of the sort of slang terms for it. But um, so all of this is out there. It's, I'm not saying anything that's not known or new, but uh, a lot of people have no idea about it, of course, and they don't understand it um, because I've been doing this for so long. And because before I got into project Camelot, I, um, I actually set out to reach enlightenment <laughs> when I was young. And so when I was 21, I, I, I went into meditation every day. I connected all my chakras and I basically had these multiple samadhi experiences because as it happened, I didn't really know this at the time, but that's in your twenties is the best time to do what I did. And so I was very successful at it. And so I understand firsthand what activated Kundalini is 
or orgone, if you want to use that term, and in the human, and I understand how it works and how it can be used, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it enhances you in amazing ways. It, it makes you live longer, look younger for your age, um, be smarter. It enhances your intelligence. Um, it's just a lot of wonderful things. Now, Hollywood, of course, everyone in Hollywood wants to look and stay young. That's their motivation because you don't have a career otherwise, basically. Right. Um, so when they started to, they actually, the dark side created those with the high degree of reptilian DNA began to create, um, based off of children. So they started, you know, children, a certain number of children disappear off the planet or it appears that they do. They're going into underground bases. They're part of this horrible adrenochrome highway and they take and synthesize this stuff after torturing children. And this solution is then, you know, in some biomed way, uh, put into something where they can actually either drink it or shoot it up, you know, into their system. Mm -hmm. This is people with money and in Hollywood. So, and in other walks of life as well, it's used at the highest, you know, reaches of power. And what happens is they, it only works for a while. So you can, you need more and more. It's an addiction. You have to, if you want to stay looking younger, that's where you see some of these people where they look okay for a while. And then all of a sudden they start to age like drastically because they didn't have their supply. So it's a really horrible, vicious circle. And mm -hmm. it, it, it is very operational here on planet earth. And it is an epidemic, if you want to call it that, um, Apparently, you know, child trafficking and human trafficking and its whole adrenochrome highway is is basically not only financing the secret space program. Number one, it's the it's above drugs and gun running. It makes more money than either of those right now. And, and so human slavery on Earth is much worse than it ever was in the past now. I would, um, that makes you wonder about those David Politi's cases, the, the missing 411 cases, too. That's right. Yeah, he's he's on it. He he knows he, he's actually, you know, explored this whole thing. Interesting. Very interesting. Now, let me ask you, we were talking about um, NASA's exploration programs that, 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 that we see. Okay, I'm going to talk about what we're seeing now. You know, these launches, they're supposed to be preparing us to go to Mars and all this. Have we already been to Mars? Yeah, we have a base on Mars and the moon. I have whistleblower testimony. I mean, William Tompkins, again, was one of the people talking about it. Captain Mark Richards, I have a tremendous amount of uh, whistleblower testimony from him. He's someone in prison by the secret space program on purpose. For the last 35 years, he's been in prison. He is um, extremely knowledgeable. He was like a starship enterprise type captain going interstellar right before he got um, captured and put into prison and, and on a trumped up charge that he uh, was involved in killing a pedophile uh, because of his relationship with some young boys that actually did the deed. And they said he was the mastermind, which... He wasn't, <laughs> but, 
But um, so I inter I've interviewed him in prison for five years and I have 12 interviews. I call them total recall because uh, when I go into prison to interview him, um, I don't go under a formal cover as a, as a you know, professional journalist, even though I am one, uh, because they don't they wouldn't allow him to talk. So what I go in is ostensibly as a friend or whatever. And I only have like a little pencil to uh, notes on and my memory to take his testimony out of the prison. And um, it's, it's in, I'm writing a book uh, of this testimony, packaging it into a book right now, but this is incredible testimony uh, all about the secret space program, how it operates, what goes on there and incorporates all kinds of things that are just above and beyond anything you could imagine. Like why, um, what the Cuban missile crisis really was about, mm -hmm. which was alien technology, not what ostensibly we thought it was the missiles from the Russians and all this. Right. So he has, um, he's a brilliant, brilliant man. And, um, you know, I spend like two or three or four hours at a time, visiting the prison. This is over a period of five years and uh, it works out to be about 12, well, 12 interviews um, over a five year period. So that's just one of my whistleblowers, but then there's William Tompkins and there's many others that we've had over the years. Some have come on the record and some, some have actually stayed off the record um, and reported to me secretly, obviously. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, it's a huge body of, of work and substantiates everything I'm talking about here. Now, if it's my understanding of, you know, what they've pounded into our heads over the years about even going to Mars, it would take forever to get there. So is, are, are they working on some kind of time travel to do this or how, how are they getting back and forth? Okay. So the idea, and this is, this was comes from an, one of our, primary uh, whistleblowers who's, who came out under a, a fake name initially. We had to give him an assumed name when he first testified, which was Henry Deacon. We named him after this um, television series character <laughs> and uh, who was a scientist. Anyway, he, he, he came out eventually under his real, his real name, with his, which is Arthur Neumann. And he actually testified on stage at one of my conferences. Uh, my time travel in other worlds conference that I did in Glendale in 2013. But at any rate, he is now um, gone to ground, as they say, he's off the record and he's hidden. But at any rate, he come forward and he talked about what was going on with a lot of that. Uh, and we've had many whistleblowers since then that substantiated that material. Um, so the question is, uh, I guess you're saying, you know, do we go to Mars? And yes, we went to Mars. You know, we we went, even NASA did go to the moon, okay? When they arrived, this is William Tompkins' testimony. He actually made a drawing of it. It's a famous drawing and I have it on my website um, showing what they encountered, which was a lineup of reptilian vehicles with the reptilians standing next to their vehicles. And our astronauts <laughs> arrived and got out of their vehicle. And this is what they encountered. Uh, basically, you know, the moon was off limits. Get the hell out of here. Mm -hmm. So this is why, you know, Stanley Kubrick 
had to fake the moon landings, okay? Because we were actually intercepted by the reptilians. And this story is, is, is only revealed by William Tompkins and a few other things. You know, there are always um, clues and, and things that don't add up and so on and so forth. But the population out there just does not get it. They don't understand uh, how the secret state works, how they operate, how they figure to do things to deceive us you know, constantly and so on. So that was one of, one of the areas where there's a huge amount of, you know, disinfo that gets pumped out on a regular basis and so on. Now, um, time travel. Do, uh, do they have the capability now to do time travel? Yes. Um, and even recently, you know, Tom, I, well, okay. <clears throat> Sean David Morton, do you know who he is? Yes. I just interviewed him again. He was contacted by a whistleblower who was apparently in charge of Area 51, Dulce, and in essence, what we would say is the secret space program back in, I think, the 60s when it first originated, 50s, 60s. And this man has gone into hiding Originally, Sean said he died, but now we hear that he's actually, what he really did is travel okay, out of the sector. But he left behind a series of volumes of books that contained his, supposedly his real life story of how he and a group ran from the early days and, and built up Area 51 and Dulce and, and dealt with alien races and so on. So what Sean has done, his, his direction was, because this man still has family back on earth and has to protect them and so on and so forth. Sean had to write him up into a fiction based on fact series of books. And those series of books are called Sands of Time. And they're a, a really fun read. So they're great books. And there's now three, I think four of them. There's a new one that came out that I'm still reading actually halfway through. Um, it's called Time Runner, and it, it, it actually does focus more on time travel. And there's a formula in there for time travel, you know, as it, it's, you know, uh, scientists will say using the word time travel is actually wrong, that it's not per se time traveling through time so much as it is time slippage and, and slipping and slipping and sliding through these gates and, and portals and so on. But anyway, so um, that's one aspect of the, of where you can look at it. The other one is that, you know, humans, we, this is, uh, you know, what my understanding built up over 17 years of testimony that we ourselves are time travelers by our nature and that we actually do time travel, even though we don't necessarily know it. And some of us are better at it than others, right? And have better, you know, recall of when we leave our bodies and go and into other time, you know, dimensions and times and so on. Now this does get into interdimensional travel because we didn't go to the moon through the, um, what do they call it? Kuiper belt or whatever that is. 
-hmm. you know, we didn't go that we don't go directly in space. We go interdimensionally to, we jump in essence, um, and go through portals to travel in space. Again, something most people just don't understand. So I'll say, oh, we could never have gone through the Van Allen belt because, you know, all these things will hit you and stuff, but we're not doing it that way. It's just not done that way. And um, they don't understand, in, you know, interdimensions and, and the way travel, if you want to call it that, um, happens in the multiverse. So, so this is very crucial to, to understanding. And it's also something flat earthers need to understand because they don't get that. Uh, now, I don't know why, but I have no trouble understanding this. I, I, it's just in my mind, I can visualize it perfectly. I've even had dealings, you know, interdimensional dealings, I guess you might say, with beings on occasion and so on and so forth. Um, so it has to do, you know, you kind of have to, in a sense, to understand it, really, you do have to kind of reconfigure or at least awaken aspects of your, um, you know, your DNA, your gene genome and, and, and awaken that, you know, to start to understand it, right? Mm -hmm. We all have this understanding. We all have this capability. It's just whether or not you, you tap into that. And because of my background with Kundalini meditation, I tapped into all of this, you know, and I also, it also enhances your ability to tell truth from falsity. Now I'm totally aware that some people listen to me, think I'm full of shit. They think um, I have no idea what's true and what's not. So, you know, so, you know, it, it can be very subjective when you're looking at another person and thinking, oh, they know something or they don't. All I can tell you is that um, my understanding is that I am a precog, that I've had a tremendous number of dreams of the future and many of them have come true, okay? I don't go around talking about them. Contrary to someone like Sean, who is actually a known psychic who pre made predictions of earthquakes and they happened. He's very good at that. Um, a lot of, he did financial predictions also, um, which got him into trouble with the SEC um, or with, you know, whatever he, you know, he'll, he explains on my video. I've, I, you know, Sean's a very old friend of mine <laughs> and we tend to argue about stuff, but we're both, you know, very passionate, very involved in this whole sector. So he has his, um, you know, contacts that feed him information and he has his psychic ability and the same with me and my information. Right. And I got very involved with Yashana Dean guardian races and I even had proof that I'm in contact with them when I traveled to India with her group. So anyway, so Sean and I go at it um, and you'll see that in the interviews I do with him, sometimes we tend to get into an argument, <laughs> but it's, it's fun and we stay friends. And so, you know, it's, it's very interesting, but he'll have some information that contradicts mine and mine will contradict is, you know, like I have whistleblowers and contacts that, you know, but the trouble is you have to keep in mind, you know, you're only as good as you, how astute you are and your instrument, so to speak. Oh, right. Right. So yeah. if someone like Sean is told by one of his current contacts and 
let me say this about Sean. He's a lot more aligned with the conventional um, people in power than I am. Okay. He's always kind of been more along those lines. He loved Disneyland and I consider Disneyland the heart of the fucking, you know, sorry, for, but um, you know, adrenochrome highway. And, you know, so we kind of see things a little differently. Anyway, some of his contacts will get feed him information. Mine do the same thing. I have whistleblowers who have given me great information over the years but they also try to mislead me from time to time with bullshit lies. Okay. And you never, you never can know really um, like there's no way to prove some of this information, right. Until like it plays out and actually happens on, you know, around us or, or you get other verification, like multiple levels of verification, which happened. But um it's always very interesting dealing with sources and whistleblowers and people that, that will try to feed you because it's an intelligence game. Yeah. So this, I mean, and everyone has to play it now, not just me, <laughs> not just Sean, not just, you know, people that do investigations like we do nowadays, the average person, even to understand the world, needs to understand the intelligence game. And so, so one of the things I do when I do conferences and, and when I talk like here, I take the opportunity to try to educate people on understanding, you know, how to think strategically and how to decipher, you know, take something apart and see where the truth is and where the lies are and, and all of that. So, it's, it's not like I'm right all the time. I don't think anyone necessarily be right all the time. But all I can tell you is I have a really good track record where I check myself out very carefully. So I will, you know, know something. I don't necessarily tell anyone, but I'll know it's going to happen. And then it happens. And then I know I was correct. I mean, I just had... Um, you know, and this can be on a, on a superficial level. I, I, I tell this story about, you know, having a dream and a lot of my stuff comes in dreams. So I had my, I had a dream that my car was towed. I woke up in the morning and said, that's ridiculous. My car is going to be fine. I don't know why I had this dream. It's really stupid. So then I go out and my car was gone. <laughs> it was towed. <laughs> so, you know, but and then just yesterday, I was really tired and I was driving through this town that I just moved to in the mountains. And I was a couple of miles away, but I saw all of a sudden I saw a roadblock with a bunch of, you know, sirens, all this kind of thing. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, I guess I hope I don't encounter what I just saw. Right. So then about a mile or two away suddenly there it was the sirens the whole thing and and so i had seen it ahead of time that's that by some that might be considered remote viewing and you can remote you can accidentally remote view that's that's totally doable so um you know these kinds of things give you validation that you're on track right sure now you could have the opposite you could think something's going to happen it doesn't you have to you know, you kind of have to be honest with yourself as to, you know, those kinds of things. If you're going to try to learn to do this well and be good at it. But 
in a sense, uh, just surviving, you've got to be able to predict what this crazy government is going to come up with next, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. I have two questions in the chat room. The first one is, how do we know if we're from the grays? Oh, if you have gray human hybrid, uh, if you're one of part of their abduction scenario. Um, it's very, I mean, it might be hard to tell. It depends how old you are, first of all, because the, the, the gray human, you know, abduction program started at a certain point, which is, um, uh, I think a bit later than the fifties, more like possibly the sixties. So if you were born, if you were born before the fifties or in the fifties, you aren't necessarily part of that hybrid program. Okay. But if you were born after that, you could have been a candidate and that would depend on whether or not you have, well, let me say this, the gray human hybrids um, have some of the traits of the grays, right? And one of those traits is, um, you know, the ability to move objects, for example, and uh, easily, you know, without trying. And um, they're very intelligent. So the trouble with the grays, a lot of the grays are involved in this hybrid program. The reason they wanted to hybridize and get their DNA into humans, and that goes for all of the different, you know, I call them races, but species that come to earth, a lot of them want to, they want to occupy, they want our bodies, they want a body to inhabit this space because of the, um, there's multiple reasons, I guess, but, but because of the sensate universe that we're part of here in, on earth in this, this level, uh, 3D going into 4D has this high degree of, you know, pleasure, pain, spectrum and so what they want is to be able to experience life that way and they can't do it without one of these bodies right mm -hmm. so they have they they can't breathe our atmosphere mm -hmm. and so in order to they basically have to invade our genome hybridize it and make it part of so that they can come and go and use these bodies and um so the new children a lot of them may be highly intelligent they may be able to move object, objects as has been reported um but they lack empathy they lack heart they lack emotions so they will also be like that mm -hmm. um now there's also okay so the movies are always telling you stuff about this and one of those movies of course is the x-men series so the whole X-Men scenario is very real, but a lot of people don't realize that, you know, the swarms of people coming to cross the border, the whole border war, war here in, with the Southern border of the United States that Trump is very involved in building a wall over. The real reason for the wall and the reason that it's a contested situation is because what's coming into the U.S. are these gray human hybrids. And what they're going to do when they get here and how, whether or not our so-called military, for example, is going to be able to control them. And some of them could be good gray human hybrids. You know, they're not all going to be um, emotionless, right, robots. But there could be a fair number that are, and they could also, you know, 
go on killing rampages. Who knows what they could do, right? There's, we don't, the fact is we don't know. Mm -hmm. okay. um, but this is very real. And what's happened is even this happened in 2016 when Trump was elected and was going into office. They, the grays, what they do is they can reach them through AI triggering. Mm -hmm. They can reach these hybrids and they can actually turn on this sort of beacon-like thing that will actually send them in droves in the direction they want. Like, you know, this whole, I don't know what, what you would call it, like a hive mm -hmm. with one objective and that is to cross that line. So there was plenty of evidence in 2016 of these, you know, of these humans that are gray human hybrid families and children and so on, all headed for the border, but they had, uh, they were in it like a trance. So they had a trance like state. And this is, this is major. And um, I'll tell you one person who wrote about it before it happened, wrote about this kind of thing is Whitley Strieber in one of his books, which is called The Greys. And if you want to freak out, you know, have a kind of scary book that's very close to the truth, read that book. Because um, he nailed it in that book. Um, potential. And it is a potential. It's a very great potential. And uh, we haven't even explored where, you know, that manifesting as much as it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Add that to the COVID, you know, bioweapon that they've now shot up a good portion of the population with, who are mm -hmm. also now linked the same way the gray human hybrids are to the Borg AI. That's what I just call it the Borg AI. That's my name for it. But it's an alien AI that's trying to run our planet. It's linked through the gray grays. And one of the people who knows a lot about this is Cyrus Parsa. So I want to give him credit because he did come forward with a lot of this information. I already had it because of my investigation of the Greys mm -hmm. and also Mark Richards. But Cyrus substantiates it with his own information, you know, because I didn't even know Cyrus back in those days. But then he came forward as an investigator and he had he looked at. He has um, enhanced himself, by the way, the same way I did. So he activated his skinny, um, had multiple samadhi experiences and so on. He's kind of hard to deal with, but he's still out there. And uh, we talk from time to time. He's very annoying. So I think I stopped talking to him recently. But, um, you know, he has a lot of knowledge and he's actually taken his information to the Trump administration and tried to warn them. Uh, they didn't want to deal with him, but I think he gave them a lot of good information. He's written some books and they, I've interviewed him many times, actually. So if you're interested in Cyrus Parsa's information, I highly recommend. I've got his book, one of his books or two of his books. I don't know I've got how many on the front page of uh, Camelot. So if you scroll down, I have Ashana Dean's books. I have my books. I have um, my book. And I have Cyrus Parsa's book. So, you know, I try to make things, you know, lead people down the Yellow Brook Road uh, <laughs> as much as possible. Here's a question. Uh, so somebody in the chat room wants to know if ETs visit in our dreams. Sure. 
Um, you know, we're dealing with, you know, we, this is a vehicle. Your body is a vehicle. You, you come and go, you have a soul. You don't stay here. You know, at night you leave your body. Um, and so, yeah, of course you're dealing, you may have visitations from various, uh, ETs and they could be good ETs, you know, and you also have interdimensional beings, you have discarnate entities, you have ones that want to take you over and possess you and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you have dark, in, you know, individuals here on earth who are also taken over, who are also using human vehicles to try to seduce other human vehicles. I mean, it's a huge gamut. Absolutely. I have a question about Planet X. What's going on with Planet X right now? Um, well, it's such a can of worm that um, over the years we dealt with planet, so-called Planet X um, mm -hmm. on and off and, and got testimony about it. Um, the final sort of idea behind it, as I understand it, is that there's Nibiru that does come and go, and that's actually what you would call a planetoid that is a spaceship. A planet is, a, in essence, a spaceship. Mm -hmm. And the spaceship can be occupied by a race of beings. In that case, the Anunnaki. So the Anunnaki created their spaceship, which is Nibiru. And it, it would travel through solar systems and had a regular... So, so it may have had a regular you know, elliptical orbit going through our system. Now, whether or not... Nibiru and Planet X are the same thing is a, is a question. There's also been a lot of investigation. I mean, we've got, I've got tons of interviews uh, that touch on this. I'm going to Andy Lloyd talking about, you know, um, the dark planet the, and, and what could be construed as Planet X. Some people said, I think it's, um, did they call it Planet Nine or something? Not long ago, what they so-called discovered a planet called Planet Nine. Some people say it's that. Um, but other people say that it's also a planetoid that comes into our solar system. But the thing is that, and this was comes from one of my whistleblowers called Cameron Faley, which he brought to the fore the idea that planets are beings and they have consciousness. And they know when another planet is like headed their way. So they don't have to collide. They're not like bowling balls or whatever. They're actually conscious beings. And so they make way for these planets to pass by. And uh, that doesn't mean, okay, so alien races or, you know, what you might want to call um, different species out there go to war and they do use... Um, asteroids like you would uh in a sense a bowling a bowling ball ball or a um you know like to throw it like a, you know right. a ball and they they have crashed into mars with those they they basically our planet was hit by one um with one of the hits on atlantis was from one of those asteroids um that was aimed at our planet Okay, so it was aimed to take down the island or, or the massive part of the Atlantean civilization. Um, 
So, you know, when you say planet X, well, it's kind of like which planet and whether it's a planetoid and all of that. So there is, let me say that Richard Allen Miller, he's a magician physicist who I've interviewed many times. And I did a show with him recently in which he came forward with information that he hasn't done before. It's not his style to talk about, but, but I believe the Navy he is in touch with and under the control, if you want to call it that of Navy intelligence. And they, I think they set him up to this. So you have to keep that in mind when you want to hear what I set, have to say, but, so there's a show that I did with him. And after the show, they took down, down my entire website and they took in like this incredible, like six days we were down. It was like a huge hit. So, but in the, in the show, he talked about mathematically, he has now figured out that there's going to be a, um, it's not extinction level, but it's like an extinction, what they call a Carrington event that actually was predicted in the past, but this time he says it's not extinction level, but there will be an event. It will happen, he says, and he figured it out mathematically. That's they set him up to do this mm -hmm. within a 99.9999 percentage mm -hmm. that it will happen. Um, that at the end of March, beginning of April, 2024. So if you look at that, you'll see that the election is supposed to be in November, 2024. Right. So this is in, in end of March, beginning of April, when there's a full moon, I believe, in a sort of um, astrological situation, that there is going to be an event that is going to involve land masses to some degree rising up. So it's not like that cataclysmic day after tomorrow thing, but it will cause, you know, changes, earth changes. And it will be some kind of event that will change, you know, humanity or, or something. So that's, I'm just saying what he's saying. Now, there are a lot of other people, interestingly, predicting similar or, or something during that time period, okay? 2024, including Sean David Morton, who was on my show recently. He has his own information of some kind of event coming. He does. I don't think he necessarily zeroes in on those exact months, mm -hmm. but he, he, I think he's in the ballpark. Mm -hmm. So just saying that's, you know, kind of out there um, as one of those type of events. Who's calling the shots? Is, is, is it the Anunnaki's? Uh, well, no, you know, it's not one group that okay. seems to be the case. Now, off planet Earth, there is sort of a hierarchy. It goes back to the days of like, you might, if you're familiar with the Urantia book, books mm -hmm. and um, how they talk about the hierarchies and, you know, these certain spiritual hierarchies that go, they are beings that are no longer taking on physical bodies. So they're not even aliens anymore, if you will. They are, um, you could call them avatars, um, risen souls, uh, guiding various civilizations. 
there is reason to believe that, you know, there's a group like that, that some people wanted to think it was, um, what do they call those? Uh, in the Bible, they're referred to uh, by a certain name. Um, I forget what the name is. But anyway, um, the trouble with the Bible is that it also relates to and puts the Anunnaki in the role of gods. Okay. And so-called God. So a lot of times they all certain personality traits to so-called God, but they're like vindictive. Um, anyway, vindictive, um, you know, vindictive God types of actions. Okay. But a vindictive God is not a God. <laughs> it's right. a lower level, um, you know, if you want to call it ET race or species or whatever. So mm -hmm. this is the trouble with a lot of, in my opinion, uh, with a lot of what you hear in the Bible. So that's where they actually forced, they created, you know, they had, they rewrote the Bible. They interfered on certain levels, different uh, groups and the, the Vatican, for that matter, is completely run from underground by the reptilian, the Draco reptilians. Wow. And if you've ever seen a picture of the Vatican, it looks like a reptile. I mean, the, you know, the inside of the reptile, the scales, the whole thing, the eyes. I mean, oh, look at the Vatican. You're going to make me look at the Vatican more closely. Oh, God, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it is unbelievable. So... There, you know, and this is not conjecture. This is fact. Mm -hmm. Carrie, thank you so much. Sure. God, I could, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours about this stuff, but thank you for coming back and being on the show. I really appreciate it so much. Okay. Well, I'm glad it worked out. Um, hopefully I got a recording here and you got a recording and it's all going to yeah. be good. Um, you know, thanks for having me on the show. It's fun to talk to you. I know I had you as my guest. I think you're pretty yeah. fascinating too. And um, so, it, you know, it's, it's always fun. We'll have to get you back on again. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's just fun to talk. <laughs> okay, sure. If, if you're willing to come back on. Sure, of course. Absolutely. All right, Carrie, I want to thank you. And it's been, I've, I've got all my questions answered. Anybody else in the chat room? Say it now, forever hold your peace. Okay. Slow people, they're slow today. <laughs> All right, fair yeah. enough. Okay, thanks a lot for the show. Thank you, Carrie. You have a good evening, okay? How can yeah, people find you before you leave? How, how can people find you? Oh, well, go to projectcamelotportal.com, my website. It's also under a URL, projectcamelot.tv, like television. It's okay. also projectcamelot.org. So we have three URLs because we're banned in certain countries like parts of Germany. And uh, so we, we devised that to work around. I'm on uh, Rumble. I have a Project Camelot Rumble channel where all the new videos, including this one, reside, as well as odyssey.com, Project Camelot on Odyssey. Uh, and I'm banned from YouTube. So, you know, there's some remnants floating around my old vid videos and things, but I can't even access those channels anymore. Wow. Um, so that's the trouble with that. Uh, what can I say? I'm 
I have a Telegram channel that's super active and everything is located on my website. Anything you're looking for, even all the links to these other channels are all on my front page of my website. Fantastic. And you have a book out too, right? You wrote a yeah, book. Yeah, Rebel Gene. Okay, cool. So, um, and I'll, it's doing very well on Amazon. So I hope you enjoy it if you get a chance to read it. Absolutely. It's Rebel Gene, G-E-N-E, -E, you know, like a gene, like your genes. Sure. That's a play on words. All right, take care. Thank you so much. All right. Okay. Bye -bye. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, All right. That was a great evening. I learned so much and I hope you did too. Uh, tomorrow we're going to shift gears a little bit. Nancy Matson, medium Nancy Matz is going to be with us and she's going to be answering questions about your deceased pets. So if you have a pet that recently that has died and you have questions about it, um, this is the time to ask. You get one question, write it down and Nancy will spend at least two, three minutes taught telling you about your deceased pet so that's going to be tomorrow at 6 30 p.m pacific hopefully no more weird things going on with the, with the video <laughs> but i want to thank everybody for coming tonight um if you're watching if you're watching from facebook please hit that uh follow button if you're watching from tiktok or or uh, twitter please follow and if you're watching from youtube and you like what you see there's 350 more videos of, of different topics that you might be interested in Hit that subscribe button, and that's that little man down at the corner, the ghost with the with the uh, Sherlock Holmes hat on and the uh, big magnifying glass. And I'm sure you're going to find something you like. In fact, Carrie's been on the show before, as she said. So I mean, we have all kinds of different topics, and you'll spend hours and hours perusing what we have. But I want to thank everybody for coming. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, send it to five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Also, you can find us at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com and the paranormal groups at CaliforniaHaunts.org. All right. You see that ticker down at the bottom? It's because California Haunts Paranormal Group is a nonprofit group, technically. I own it. So everything that happens within that group comes out of my pocket. So if, if equipment breaks or something, it all comes out of my pocket. Just like running this radio show comes out of my pocket. Computers, you name it, you know, uh, mics and everything. So if something busts, it comes, it comes out of my pocket. And I want to keep doing the show. I've been doing the show for two and a half years. I love doing it. I love bringing you different guests, especially guests like Carrie. You know, so if you can find it in your heart to donate a little bit to help me do that, that would be great. That's at paypal.me at California Haunts or Venmo and then just type in California Haunts. I would I, I would really appreciate it you know, to keep this thing on the air because I want to deliver messages like this. I, I'm, I'm here to inform people. I'm, I'm here to teach people. And that's what it's all about. Okay. Anyway, I want to thank everybody again for coming and... I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific with medium Nancy Matz and connecting with your deceased pets. See you tomorrow.